0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. So we're in the middle of a series, we're actually finishing it up today, called Why Church? And uh, what we're doing uh, as, as people is sort of going back and, and looking at the church and what it is uh, in, in this moment in our cultural context. Uh, how many of you know the church is just a teensy weensy little bit less popular than it was some time ago? Just, just a touch, right? There's been a little bit of drift in our culture where once a huge percentage of the people who would uh, call themselves Canadians, would also call themselves believers. And the same is true in the U.S. And there would be high numbers in terms of frequency uh, of church attendance and involvement. And in that uh, shift that's happened where those numbers have decreased and partly decreased dramatically through COVID, uh, in, in Canada, uh, almost like as we've been talking about for a few weeks, um, almost 43% of people that were attending church regularly pre-COVID have stopped. It's a significant uh, decrease in people who want to say, I want something to do with church, I want something to do with it. There's something that maybe they were coming to church before in terms of having their needs met or some reason that they were coming to church before that after COVID they no longer are. And that causes us to simply ask the question. Uh, for those of us who are still attending, and as we want to make an invitation to our friends to join our community again, uh, to ask the question, "Why church? Why are we doing this? What is what is the point of all of this?" And what we've really said uh, through the course of the series is that our primary purpose in being the church is to glorify God. We are a people who are made to glorify Jesus. We are a community that is built to glorify Jesus, to lift up his name, to increase his fame, to cause him to be known in the world for who he is, in the fullness of his glory, the fullness of his beauty. We want Jesus to to be known. And we see that in the scriptures as we understand. The purpose of the church isn't just for us. It isn't just for the good things we get out of it. The purpose of the church is that God would be glorified. And we talked about those scriptures in Ephesians 3 where Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus and saying, hey, why uh, are are you here? Why are you doing this? Uh, I want you to know I'm going to reveal to you a little secret. I'm going to reveal to you the secret of my ministry. I'm going to reveal to you why I'm coming out and being a part of this journey. I'm going to reveal to to you, why I've been called to write to you, and I want to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The manifold wisdom of God is meant to be made known to rulers and powers and authorities through you, through what we do here. Um, And then later in Ephesians chapter 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Amen. The church is meant to be a place where God is glorified and lift him up. So our why for being a church, our why for gathering, our why for participating in church must shift from self-gratification and the good things we get out of it, which we do. We get many good things out of it, but must shift to God's glorification, from our self-gratification to God's glorification, and that is a big enough reason for us to gather. Isn't that? Isn't that a big enough? reason. And so as we look at glorifying uh, God, we've broken that down into three main ideas. Uh, We glorify uh, God as we minister to him. There are things that we do that are just for him and him alone. When we praise him, when we worship, when we sing songs, that is worthy all in itself. If we never did anything else as a people, just coming and gathering to sing and glorify and worship God, that would be worth it because he's worthy of all of our praise, all of our time, all of our attention. But we have a second purpose, and that's to minister to one another, in loving one another and caring for one another and building a community that is healthy and whole and vibrant and alive and full of his spirit. We demonstrate the reality of who he is. People can look in at our lives and look at the church and say, hey, I see in that an accurate representation of Jesus. There is something so different about them. It must, it's clear to me that somebody greater than them must be in their midst. So he's glorified as we imitate him as we have a covenant with one another and relationship with one another, as we go deep in small groups and interaction, and we grow deep as people being discipled. And so that's our second ministry. That's the second way we, in which we glorify God. And the third category in these categories weren't developed by me. They're in systematic theology textbooks across the theological spectrum. This third category is our ministry to the world. And this is what we usually think of when we think of our purpose to glorify God that we have things that we do out there in the world to let him be known, to let him be seen. Uh, Mark Dever says it like this, speaking about the purpose of the church, uh, the church should be regarded as important to Christians because of its importance to Christ. Christ founded the church, he purchased it with his blood, and intimately identifies himself with it. The church is the body of Christ, the dwelling place of the Spirit. Those are sort of the first two, right? That God is glorified as we gather to worship, God is glorified as we be a community. And this third one is is here. The church is the dwelling place of the Spirit and the chief instrument for glorifying God in the world. Finally, the church is God's instrument for bringing the gospel to the nations and a great host of humanity to himself. He wants to bring the world and reconcile the world to himself and transform it and make it new. So we glorify God as we minister to the world. We glorify God as we do things out in the world to let him be known. And we can break that down into two categories, and it's typically broken down this way. Uh, We demonstrate the kingdom of God. We demonstrate his reality, and we proclaim his reality. And these things are very often in tension with one another. And what we're going to talk about is how they work together and and how we can maybe grow in them in in a way that will will help us to to understand them in a more fulsome way. In terms of our demonstration, uh, many of us think we we can simply demonstrate the glory of God by by doing a few programmatic things, by doing a few little things. We We can give a little bit here, we can give a little bit there, we can help the food bank here. We can do all of these sort of programmatic things to demonstrate his love, and absolutely, yes, these acts of justice, these acts of kindness, these acts of doing his stuff in the world are are a part of it. But I think as Christians, uh, we are actually called to something deeper, not only to be people who occasionally do acts of justice, but to become Jesus' just kingdom. It is not about the simple little acts that we do, though we must do those. It is about who we are becoming. Will we become a society, an alternative community, that acts out and lives out the work of Jesus' kingdom? We, if we live it and breathe it. And I, and I would say, and I think you would agree, that we're, we're not there, are we? We are not there yet. We have somewhere to go, and we're going to talk about that. And then the second thing is our proclamation. Uh, you think of Billy Graham, this great evangelist. When we think of evangelism, we think of evangelists. There's this great joke about Billy Graham, and he sort of gets off the plane. One of his crusades is this famous guy, and the chauffeur is picking him up at the bottom of the plane, and he says, hey, uh, could could I drive this, this car for a little while? Could, could I be the chauffeur? And the driver says, sure, go ahead. You can drive... Billy Graham gets in the limousine and he's driving and he's speeding and he gets caught by a cop. A cop pulls him over in a limousine. And the cop comes up to the window and he rolls it down. And he's like, that's, that's Billy Graham. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And he calls a supervisor and, and he says, Hey, listen, I I have got someone really important in, in this car, and, and I don't know what to do. Um and the guy's like, is it the governor? Is it the, 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 the premier? He goes, no, no, more important than that. Like, is it is the prime minister or is it the president? Oh, no, 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 it's way more important than that. Well, well who is it? It's like, I, I think it's Jesus. <laughs> He's got Billy Graham for a chauffeur. When we think of evangelism, we think of these great people and these great programs, we think of Alpha, and that's amazing, that's good, right? But there is something that is supposed to happen in the church and in the life of the church and in me and you, where our plan for evangel- evangelism has to shift from being a programmatic thing that somebody else is doing to something that you and I are doing. It's... Wonderful that we have had Billy Grahams in this world, but we're looking for Warrens and Hughes and Ruths and Dave and Nancys. Those are our evangelists, and so that's what we're talking about this this morning. Uh, Jesus talks first about this vocation uh, to bring his kingdom to the world, uh, to bring his goodness uh, to the world, uh, to do the demonstration of the kingdom. We we see that just very, very early in his ministry. We see it threaded through the Old Testament, so we're going to talk about that part first, our demonstration. Uh, Jesus is uh, in Galilee. He's in his hometown, and he comes into the synagogue, as was his custom often to speak, and just by some coincidence... (laughs) which we know is a God-ordained thing. He happened to come into the synagogue on the day when they were reading from a scroll, uh, the scroll of Isaiah. And it just happened. The way they would do readings in the synagogues in those days, they would just pull out the scroll, and they would just pick up at the place where they left off last time. And so they came, and they opened up the scroll, and this is what was written on it. It said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus, reading from this uh, little bit of writing in Isaiah, then quietly sits down in the synagogue and just, in the course of conversation, quietly says, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus coming to earth, what we're going to celebrate this Christmas, is this moment of a proclamation of good news, liberty for captives, sight to the blind, healing And it says later on, uh, in terms of his ministry, he went into all of the towns and villages and synagogues, teaching, preaching the good news of the kingdom, proclaiming it, telling people about it, and healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. So he went to proclaim the gospel But he went also to lead, also to heal, also to touch, also to care for the poor. His proclamation uh, was balanced by his demonstration. So Jesus preached. Uh, the kingdom of God, the good news that was prophesied in the Old Testament by all of these prophets, that in the age to come, it would be an age of healing, an age of restoration, an age of wholeness, an age of goodness, uh, justice for the poor, liberty for the oppressed. The kingdom has broken in through Jesus at that moment. That kingdom broke into space and time through Jesus, the messianic king the king of all the universe, Jesus Christ, and the good news of the coming of that kingdom is larger and greater and more comprehensive than we can imagine. It's a big gospel. It's a big kingdom. Ultimately, uh, it finds its fulfillment uh, in Revelation 21, at the end of the story where there will ultimately be completely a new heaven and a new earth. After he has come again and judged the earth and restored all things, it's all made new. That's the ultimate trajectory. He has returned and come to work in it in the meantime through his church to give the world a foretaste, to give the world a demonstration, uh, to give the world a taste of the reality of what his kingship should be like. And so it's incumbent on us as the church and as the people of God to live out that reality, that reality of the kingdom of God that he is ultimately coming to restore in its fullness when he returns again. So sometimes he does that through our prayers. Uh, he does that uh, through the prayer and care and love that we show for one another. He is restoring mental health. He wants to restore physical health as we learn to pray for the sick. He wants to restore marriages and relationships. As we go into the world making disciples, he is calling us to restore justice for the poor. He wants us to break down barriers between races and all peoples uh, seen to be made in the image of God. To see all people as those who were created by him. He's calling us to address these issues. He's calling for there to be freedom for the oppressed, uh, women and children in slavery all over the world. Uh, He's calling us to come together and to create and generate and ultimately work towards this moment when we see in Revelation uh, chapter 7 a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people, and tongue gathered around the throne of God and in front of the Lamb, they will be wearing white robes, holding palm branches and crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. All of our works, all of our acts, everything that we're doing here and now in this time is leading us to that moment and we are to walk out the reality of that every day. That is our call to social work and social justice in the world. It is biblical. It is absolutely key to who we are as a church. We are to demonstrate the kingdom of God. As Christian people, we're called to demonstrate that reality. Because one day it's coming in its fullness. Hallelujah! Jim, where are you, buddy? It's coming in its fullness, right? Come on. And we get to be a part of it. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, By Acts chapter 4, in the story of the New Testament Christians, it said there were no needy ones among them because those who owned lands or houses would sell their property, bring the proceeds from the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet for distribution to anyone who had need. Radical generosity that we're called to. These things are demonstration of the reality that Jesus is king in the world. Can can we get behind this? (laughs) Even, even our culture around us, even though maybe our, our values would sometimes be somewhat different than the values of the surrounding culture, there is something in us, something in the generation that's coming behind us, something in us as people that, that this resonates with. We, we want to see this happening. In fact, we, we, we're swinging. We have seen this reality of this pendulum shift from a church that has been almost purely focused on evangelism, the Billy Graham way. Uh, to now seeing we need to demonstrate, not only proclaim what we proclaim, but demonstrate what we need to demonstrate. The reality is that of either the demonstration or the proclamation, we we simply aren't doing enough. Is that safe to say? Do we feel like we fulfilled our commission yet? (laughs) Do we feel like we're doing the job yet? No, but there is something beautiful for us to participate in. We're, we're going to lay our hands on these boxes, and we're going to send uh, gifts to children in the developing world uh, later today. Uh, we have a ministry called Safe Families that we partner, that we partner with. There's so many little things that we do. We care for the food bank, but we're just not there yet. And so we just humbly confess that as a church and as leaders, and we say... This is something that we need to develop and there is more that we can do. Here's the reality though. If I make a plea for you to go and do a ministry of raking leaves in the fall at at people's houses who who are sick and unwell, I will have a fairly good response to that. If I call you to a day of work at Interval House, I will have a fairly good response to that call. If we are raising money for safe families and doing a harvest party, you guys will respond to that. I can have a relatively high success rate when I call us to those acts of social justice, even though, again, I humbly confess that we're not doing as much of that as we ought to. But what I can't do, with as much predictability and with as much success is make a plea for you to share your faith with a friend or share the gospel with a family member. Is that true? Is That one's harder for us in this moment. How many of you feel more comfortable raking leaves for someone than you do having a conversation with them about your savior, Jesus Christ? Right? The one is harder, but it's absolutely critical. It's absolutely necessary. As much as we are not doing enough in terms of the demonstration of the kingdom, we are mostly terrified of evangelism. Is that true? Our knees are knocking and our palms are sweating here, right? We are not comfortable with this. But the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel, includes both. It includes both, doesn't it? Uh, The reign of God and the restoration of all things. That circumference piece is something that we we are relatively excited about. The generation that's following us is relatively excited about that. Preaching the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God, that is not quite as easy. But if we want to understand the good news of the gospel and the proclamation of the kingdom, We simply can't do so without calling people to know the king. Right? We need people to know the king. You cannot have the kingdom of God without the king of the universe. You cannot have the kingdom without the king. And so as we live that reality of that diminished gospel among us, and I think it's true, I think it's true that that central message of the gospel, not in terms of what we do here at church on Sunday mornings, but in terms of how we live out our lives with our neighbors, that gospel, that calling people to reconciliation is diminished among us. And because it's diminished among us, the good news is just a little bit more dim. And it can maybe even be a little meh. It makes no sense, it has no logical consistency to bring about racial reconciliation or restore a marriage or share life in common uh, with the poor or uh, share the common ground of uh, relationship and community and try to restore uh, relationships, try to restore health. None of that makes sense and none of that actually works without the common ground of relationship with the one who can restore without the common ground of relationship and empowerment with the Holy Spirit. God designed and made us. And we simply do not work, we simply do not function without him. The kingdom simply doesn't work without the king in the center. And without the guidance and direction and sanctifying work of that holy God any effort to restore we can look at the next slide any effort to restore things on our own will result in bad news will result in a cracked kingdom will result in the kingdom of me and the destruction of all things. Any kingdom that we try to build without surrender to the person of Jesus Christ uh, will be a kingdom that is tainted and broken, uh, that reflects our own pain, that reflects our insecurity, that reflects our pride, that reflects uh, whatever bent wickedness is in us, reflects uh, our own sinful desire, our broken sexuality, our greed, our control. If we do not call people to surrender lives, whatever kingdom we try to make and kingdom we try to restore will be a broken kingdom. Our kingdoms simply suck, don't they? Our kingdoms suck, and the meh and the bad news becomes simply no news at all. It just becomes the news. And we've seen enough of the news in the world. If we're not careful We will raise up a generation that is passionate about social justice but terrified about kingdom reconciliation and the end will end up with a gospel that is gutted in the middle that has a huge hole in its center and that ultimately can't bring true health and healing and wholeness and reconciliation anyway. It ultimately is broken. It is a hollowed out donut or bagel shaped gospel that can't. Do the work. So as we're passionate about proclaiming uh, the kingdom of God and demonstrating the kingdom of God, we need to recover our evangelistic calling. We need to recover our passion to tell the story of the gospel. Uh, Francis of Assisi is, quote, you've heard a million times, is attributed to him, if necessary, preach the, or preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Yes. You've heard me say this. Preach the gospel at all times, and it is necessary to use words. It's necessary to introduce people to the king. It's necessary to introduce people uh, to reconciliation with him. What people need is good news, that there is a holy and just king that's come to reconcile himself to the world and to reign in peace and justice and in kindness. We need both the demonstration of the reign of God and God actually reigning at the very center of it. Uh, we need people to know that God came and died on a cross and rose from the grave to restore us to relationship with him and so that we can participate in that reign until it comes again in its fullness. Now, that's good news. Right? That's good news. We can participate in his journey to bring restoration. We can be led by him in his journey to bring restoration. But we have to be led by him we have to have him we have to know him what i want to add to that that idea that yes he does want to come and restore your relationship with him he wants to uh, call you to himself he wants you uh, to be a follower of him so that very often even when we do preach the gospel we preach Salvation of sins and we preach relationship with God and we preach uh, identifying with him and uh, having the, the good things that come with being embedded in Christian community. But very often what we've done is we've failed to preach the lordship of Jesus Christ. Yes. Right? We've failed to preach a surrendered life. Let me tell you a story about a woman named Megan. Uh, it's not a real name, but she's a woman who uh, came and was part of our community for a little bit, little while, um, way back in the day when we were at the high school. Maybe it was even as far ago as the, our time in the canoe club. Megan was a, a woman who was troubled, and she had she had a child, and she was somebody that we we knew we could really help, and we we helped her with uh, with her apartment, and we helped her with funds, and we. We helped her with uh, connecting with school and, and helping her connect with uh, some social programs that were going to make a difference in her world. And we just poured and poured and poured into the life of Megan. Uh, she accepted uh, Jesus as her savior or, or or claimed to. She she began doing the things of worship and doing the things of, of church. But what we noticed over time in the life of of Megan is that we we didn't seem to be making any traction. She didn't seem to be becoming a person who would make any decisions that were uh, better than her previous decisions. Uh, the messes in her lives didn't life didn't over time seem to be cleaned up and 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 made. H- and and be fixed, and 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 her character didn't seem to be transformed. And I remember one day Megan came to me and she said, "Hey, can you come and pray for my house? I'm I'm having nightmares. I, I I just can't sleep at night. I'm I'm terrified." And 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 my my normal response to that would be absolutely yes. Let's go pray that there would be deliverance in your house and that you would be set free. But in that in that moment, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Kind of spoke to me and just dropped something in my my heart. Maybe just a little word of knowledge, and I and I just asked Megan. Megan, uh, do you do you watch horror movies much? He said, Oh, I love horror movies. Almost every night I watch horror movies. They're fantastic. And I said, Megan, are there other things that happen in your life that might be maybe signs of darkness and just a, again a little word dropping into my heart, a little. Maybe a word of knowledge, an inkling from the Holy Spirit. Megan, do you you use a Ouija board ever sometimes? And it's like, oh, it's so fun. I love that thing. It's so great. I said, Megan, I would love to come and pray for you. And I would love to come and pray for your house. But could you just promise me that you'll stop watching the horror movies and stop playing with the Ouija board? He said, oh, no, I love that. I, I would never do that. That's, that's really good stuff for me. I, I really, really enjoy that. What I realized in that moment is that Megan had an understanding at a, at a surface level of Jesus as her personal Savior, and she'd been able to say some of those words. But she didn't have something in herself that was a line drawn in the sand that said, I am going to follow Jesus as my Lord and I'm going to live differently. I'm going to do what he calls me to do. I'm going to give up what he calls me to give up. And I'm going to be a different person than I was before. She had accepted the idea of a savior, but she had not accepted the idea of the Lord. But Jesus is Lord is the central Claim of Christianity and has been since the beginning. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. What are we called to go out and preach? What is our great commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the holy spirit teaching them to do whatever the heck they want and just enjoy their salvation no <laughs> teaching them to obey all that he has commanded teaching them to obey There is a call that comes with Christianity. There is a good news of Christianity that only comes as we accept the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need to accept him. We have to come. Uh, The response to the good news of God, the response to the coming of the kingdom, has to be something of surrender in our hearts. Something in us that says, I haven't done this well. I haven't led my life well. I haven't cared for others well. Lord Jesus, I need you to take over leadership. I need you to lead me. I need to learn how you lived. I need to read your scriptures. I need to dig into the truth of who you are and imitate you and become like you. Lord Jesus, will you be my King and Lord? And that confession, that confession of the need of a king is so counter uh, to what is in our culture. It is all about independence and all about self-actualization, but it is absolutely the only thing that can save us. It is the only thing that can bring about transformation in the world. We are not just reconciled to God for our own enjoyment's sake. We are reconciled to a king who intends very much to lead us in his way. And the good news of the kingdom is that he died on the cross to make that possible. To make that relationship possible. So how do we recover that calling, that evangelistic calling? How do we do that? We are so scared, we are so scared, but we need to do it. We need to open our mouths, we need to speak, we need to figure out how to invite people into the journey. Know of the generation, this is our Mabarna study uh, that uh, that, that came out not too long after the pandemic. It said that of people who, of the millennial generation, 96% of them believe that sharing the gospel is part of their Christian faith. That's pretty good. 96% of them believe that. Yet 74% of them believe it's wrong to do so. 74% of them believe that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they will one day share that faith. I somehow believe that this is a part of Christianity, but it's really, really wrong for me to push it on anybody, so I'm just not going to do it. But we have to overcome. We have to overcome. Uh, There's a LifeWay study that said 66% of people said they were unlikely to engage in religion, and 49% of those said they were very, very unlikely and would absolutely refuse to engage in life with a faith community, but again, as the generation is often in contradiction with itself, that same study said that 79% said, if a friend of mine really values their faith, I would engage in conversation with them. So a huge percentage of the population will say, I'm not going to go seeking this, I'm not going to go looking for it, I'm not going to go attend a church, I'm not going to go seek after religion myself, but if my friend comes and talks me to it, I'll listen. I'll listen. We overcome the barrier to evangelism through personal relationships through a transition from a programmatic expectation that somehow, somewhere, someone out there is doing evangelism (laughs) to the reality that the responsibility for the proclamation of the kingdom of God rests on my shoulders and on yours in our relationships with our friends. And we won't go into this just for the sake of time. I've gone a little bit long, but what you'll see on the screen there is six Ps of personal evangelism. Presence evangelism, that's what happens when you just invite a friend to church and they come into this building and they come into a space like this and they experience the presence of God. How many of you know that people sometimes just build and come to faith simply through being in a place that's filled with the presence of God? That's a part of our evangelism. There is programmatic evangelism. I don't want to say that's wrong. We rely on Alpha. We we work in Alpha, and we've run programs. We've run courses, and they've been helpful for us. Uh, There's personal evangelism. You sitting down with a coffee and talking with a friend. There's power evangelism. Sometimes when you run across a friend who is sick, you lay your hands on them, and you say, can I pray for you? And sometimes a miracle happens, and they see the reality of the power of God and come to faith. I've got stories I could tell you of God moving in that way. There's prophetic evangelism, like I was talking about with the the story of, of the woman earlier, where sometimes the Lord will drop a key into your heart, a little idea that will be something that will unlock them and show them a taste of the reality. And sometimes you just say to a friend, at prayer evangelism, why don't you just pretend that you believe God is real and pray and see what happens? We've seen person after person have an experience of the reality of God and God answering their prayers. But all of those Ps require a personal interaction from you. No one is coming to church without your invitation. No one is coming to Alpha without your invitation. No one is coming to faith without you. You have to do it. You have to do it. The only way we get to the point where we will actually become obedient and take risks and engage in that is having that surrender that we talked about earlier actually happening in our hearts. The acceptance of Jesus, of Lordship in your life, is the thing that will lead you to be an evangelist. He is calling you to do it just as he's calling you to racial reconciliation, and he's calling you to care for the poor, and he's calling you to do all of the things that demonstrate the reality of his kingdom. He is calling you to open your mouth as your Lord and Savior and share an invitation with your friends to come to know him. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.